0: Welcome, I'm Pastor Abraham, I want to thank you for tuning in to Sun Valley Podcast. You can check out our church on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for worship thoughts, devotionals, and the latest events happening at our church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Good morning. Welcome to Sun Valley. We believe in growing faith, building community, and in the hope of Jesus. Today we're continuing with our series called The Greatest Story, The Unexpected Narrative of Jesus. And so this is a series where we explore some of the major and minor stories and writings of the Bible all the way from Genesis to revelation. This is a a journey that we've been going on here at Sun Valley for quite a while. We started in Genesis back in September of 2018. Can you believe that we're reaching September 2020? So we're now over 2 years into this journey through the Bible. And through this journey, we discover this incredible and radical love of Jesus, a love that is written in every page and story of the Bible's history. And so today we're continuing through our journey. We're continuing with the writings of the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was this prophet that lived during the 8th century. And and he ministered primarily to the people of the southern kingdom of Judah. And so he prophesied of the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of Judah into Babylon. But more importantly, Isaiah prophesied of something that he calls the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is this day that Isaiah saw a vision of something to come where God would bring down his sovereign rule, where God would bring down his kingdom to earth and establish a kingdom of love and of peace, of unity and of justice. That's the vision that Isaiah saw in the day of the Lord. And so last week, we took a look at Isaiah chapters 1 and 2, and we saw this. We saw that peace is an opportunity. We saw that peace is an opportunity from God to change and to repent. We saw that sometimes the peace that we experience in our lives is not necessarily a reward from God, but rather God's patience, allowing us to come to Him in repentance. We saw that God is offended By the kind of sacrifices and the kind of worship that neglects justice and service and love for the community and the people around us and finally we saw that isaiah's visions of peace are not just a call to wait for god to bring this peace they're not just something that we sit passively by and wait for it to come but rather isaiah's vision of peace is a challenge it is a challenge for us to become restlessly dissatisfied with the norm enough to begin to bring change today. And so if you want to listen to that message, you can, you can watch the whole service on YouTube or you can listen to it on podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. But for today's sermon, we're moving on from Isaiah 1 and 2. We're moving to Isaiah chapter 6. And so in this, in this story, Isaiah sees this vision of God's throne room in the temple, and we start in Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 from the New International Version. It should be available on the screen for you if you want to follow along, or if you have your Bibles with you, you can follow along there as well. Uh, but we're beginning with Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, and it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple above him were seraphim, these angels, each with six wings, two wings covered their faces, two wings covered their feet, and two wings were for them to fly, they were flying with. And they were calling to one another, these seraphim, these angels, and they were repeating this chant, this phrase of praise, they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4 At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah cries out, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim Flew to me, Isaiah writes, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. So Isaiah, he sees this vision. <clears throat> He's transported to the throne room of God. He's transported to this temple of the Lord. And he begins to see this this glorious person, this glorious being that he recognizes as the Lord Almighty. And he sees these angels that are ministering for the Lord. They're serving the Lord. They have six wings. And and then he's kind of describing the scene. This presence of this being seated on the throne is so holy that the angels use two of their six wings to cover their eyes. Two of their six wings to cover their feet, and the other two wings are for them to fly. There, this, this being is so holy at the way that the angels have to cover their feet and their faces in order to be in the presence of this God. And they're chanting this phrase repeatedly. say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And these words that they chant are so powerful that the whole room begins to shake. The doorpost begins to shake. The threshold begins to, to shake. And you see this smoke billowing up slowly from the ground. And Isaiah is terrified. It's a terrifying sight. Isaiah is terrified, and he says, woe is me. And he's terrified not just because of the splendor that he's in, not just because of the presence of this God that he is in, but he is terrified specifically, and he says this, because he is a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips, standing before the holiest being in all of existence. And he's terrified because he's standing before the Lord Almighty, and he realizes that he is unworthy of being in this god's presence and the angel approaches him we read in the story isaiah chapter 6 and this angel is holding this live burning coal that he takes from the altar and he places this coal to isaiah's lips and he declares that as soon as the coal has been placed to his lips that this guilt this sin this unworthiness has been taken away and his sin is atoned for isaiah is no longer unclean He's no longer unworthy of being in the presence of this God because all of his sins and his guilt have been forgiven. And this is, there's this is beautiful interaction that happens in Isaiah's vision, especially for us, because it's the beautiful interaction takes place not just in what happens, but in the order of what happens. You see, Isaiah enters into God's presence unworthy, and he realizes that he's unworthy. And then, in the middle of that realization, He is made worthy in the presence of God. You see, we often have this misconception that we need to get right with God before we come to him. Have you guys ever felt like that? Have you guys ever felt like like you've messed up, you've screwed up, you're in the middle of your sin or you've done something terrible and you feel like, man, I just can't connect with God right now. I can't come to God in prayer, I can't come to God in repentance because of the sin that I've committed, because of this wrong that I have done, because of these unclean lips and unclean hands like Isaiah proclaims. And so Isaiah feels this way. He says, I am unworthy, I can't be in the presence of this God. And so we have this misconception that when we feel unworthy, that when we feel unclean, that when we feel sinful, we can't come before the presence of God. Almost as if we have to overcome our own sins before we can come before God. That's how we feel sometimes. But that's not what the Bible shows us. The Bible shows that the order is actually reversed. Our, our, our unworthiness, our sinfulness, our uncleanness is made evident in the presence of this holy God. But it is only once we are in the presence of God that we can overcome. Did you hear that? It's only once we're in the presence of God that we can be made right. It is only once we're in the presence of God that we can be right forgiven you see worthiness is not a prerequisite to being in God's presence but rather worthiness is a product of being in God's presence did you hear that worthiness is not a prerequisite to being in God's presence rather worthiness is a product of being in God's presence. And I didn't want to pass this nuance by without mentioning, but this isn't actually our lesson. This is a great lesson we can spend some time on, but I didn't, want to, I didn't want to pass this by without mentioning. But actually, our lesson comes in the process of purification and what happens to Isaiah. Now, place yourself for just a moment in Isaiah's shoes. Think about what it might be like to be this person, this prophet, standing before the image of the full holiness of Of God, You see these voices, these these angels, and and the voices of the angels begin to tremble the entire room around you. You see smoke begin to billow up as these beings begin to chant this phrase, proclaiming this praise, this holiness of God. How would you feel? And then you see this angel takes a tongue and grabs a burning coal from the altar, and he begins to bring it towards you, and he's approaching to put it to your lips. How would you feel? How would you react? You know, I I might turn my head. I might try to protest and resist. I might say, well, no, hold on a minute. What's going on? I might ask a lot of questions. I don't know how you guys would react. But if someone is coming at you with a live burning coal, you might not be so willing to let it touch your lips. We don't know what Isaiah does. We don't know what Isaiah does. All we know is what happens after the coal touches his lips. What we do know that the burning coal was touched against his lips and that he was made clean. His guilt and his sin was taken away. He was forgiven. We don't know if it caused Isaiah pain. We don't know if the whole process was painless. What we might know, though, and what we might assume is that Isaiah might have perceived this to potentially cause pain. You guys following with me so far? Logic would dictate that if, that if this angel is coming at you with a burning coal and is going to touch it to any part of your flesh, you would logically believe that it would cause pain. We don't know if it did, but Isaiah might have believed that it would have caused him pain. So here's our first lesson for today. Our first lesson is in this process of purification. Our first lesson is this, pain can be progress. Pain can be progress. You see, if we carefully read the text we can assume that this live coal wasn't just dwindling down, it wasn't just cooling, it was burning hot. Because the angel doesn't grab it with his hands, he takes the necessary precautions to grab it with metal tongs. This coal is hot. And we don't know, again, whether this coal hurt Isaiah, but we can assume that Isaiah expected it to hurt. And here's the application. Here we find that, that, that this angel applies this, this live coal, this burning coal, this heat to Isaiah. And as a result of this application of heat, Isaiah is purified. And you know, the Bible often uses fire as this symbol of this process of, of purification. So whether or not the story is symbolic or, or whether it's literal, it's not as important as what the message conveys. The message conveys that sometimes tension and pain and pressure and heat can be purifying. You see, our lives are full of those things, right? Our lives are full of tension and heat and and pain and pressure and inevitably we will always experience those things. We will experience tensions and frictions, we'll experience pain and hurt, we'll experience pressure and challenges, but we don't have to fear those moments. As much as we might like to avoid them, or prevent those challenges, those difficulties, that pain, we don't have to let that pain cripple us. See, those moments can be moments that propel and shape our faith. Those moments can be moments that purify us, that strengthen us, that begin this process of whittling away at our imperfections, at the sins that we're clinging on to, and begin this process of purification to to bring us to be holy within the presence of God, to bring us to be worthy to be in the presence of God. And here's the key, though. This heat that purified Isaiah happened in God's presence. You guys following so far? See, when we choose to go through our difficulties and our pain and our challenges with God, God can use those challenges and those pains to bring tremendous transformation and progress in our lives. We can go through the pain and the difficulty without God, but the process won't be the same. When we choose to walk hand in hand with God, this pain can be purifying. This pain can be transformational. This pain can begin to bring progress in our lives. You see, with God, pain can be progress. And the messages that Isaiah received from God indicated that this heat, that this tension, that this pressure, this process of purification would be something that not only Isaiah would go through, but also the entire nation of Judah. That's the messages that God would give Isaiah. God was saying that a time was coming where the choices that the people of Judah had made would lead to their own destruction. They had chosen to forsake God, they had chosen to follow these idols, and so their choices would come back, unfortunately, to bite them. God had promised that even though the city and the temple would be destroyed, even though the people would be exiled as a result of what they had done, God would still use all of it to bring hope and peace. And you see, God might not cause our earthly suffering, but God can and does use our circumstances, uses our trials, uses our moments of intense pain and hurt and turmoil to bring this work of purification and restoration and transformation in our lives. And you see, that purification can get us to that point Where we also can respond like Isaiah, when God says, Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And that process of purification can get us to the point where we respond with, Here am I, send me, I'm available, I can do it. You see, with God, pain can be progress. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Continue reading the story. It says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will I go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me, verse 9. He said, Go tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. See, God gives this message to Isaiah, and Isaiah is to tell the people this. He's to tell the people, continue hearing, but fail to understand. Continue seeing, but fail to perceive. He says, your hearts, he's speaking now to the people, your hearts will be hard, and you will be deaf, and you will be blind. But if you weren't so stubborn, the message says, if you weren't so stubborn, then perhaps you would see with your eyes, and hear with your open ears, and understand with an open heart, and then you might be healed. So God knows that the people of Judah are stubborn. And in fact, the prophetic message actually counts on their stubbornness. So another question for you. What goes through your mind when someone tells you that you can't do something? What goes through your mind when someone challenges your abilities or your intelligence? Now, if you're like me, if you're stubborn, (laughs) you might argue with them. You might try to prove them wrong, right? If someone tells you you can't do something and you're a stubborn person like me, you might try to prove them wrong and actually do the thing that they said they can't do, right? I don't know about you guys. I don't know if any, does anybody just sit sit back and say like, yeah, you're right. Is any, any of you like that? No? I know, y'all are so quiet. <laughs> I'm stubborn. I don't know if you guys are like me. I'm stubborn. And so if someone tells me you can't do something, well, I'm going to say, well, no, yeah, I can. Even if I can't. Even if I know I can. not I'm still going to attempt that just to prove them wrong, Right? And see, that's, that's the part of the human behavior that the prophetic, the prophetic message hopes on and counts on. And this is our second lesson. Our second lesson is this. Be challenged to change. Be challenged to change. See, this prophetic message that God gave, gave to Isaiah was not an absolute sentence. It wasn't a declaration of what, of what would inevitably be. It was a challenge to change what was and what could become. God says this. God says that where you are, where you are headed, is going to lead you to destruction. That was the message. But the message also says, if you alter your course, if you change, if you heed my warning, if you come to repentance, then healing is where you could end up instead. See, the prophetic message was meant to be confrontational. It was meant to be offensive. It was meant to stir in them the stubbornness to prove this message of doom wrong by obeying the Lord and finding repentance. You See, the message said, you can't do it. You're going to continue hearing, but you're not going to understand. You're going to continue seeing, but not perceiving. You're going to, you're going to do all of this, you're going to hear the message, and your hearts are going to be closed, and you're going to lead to destruction. That was the message. The message was the challenge for the people to say, well, no what? Wait, wait a minute, we can actually understand, we can actually perceive, we can actually change our hearts. Because God says if you do that, you might turn and be healed. You see, God's prophetic messages always come not as a declaration of unavoidable doom, but rather as a challenge to find healing and salvation. Did you hear that? The messages in the Bible, these prophetic messages, aren't always these declarations of doom, even though they sound like it. They're actually challenges from God to prove that message wrong and to change and repent and reform and to find healing and salvation in Him. And so the challenge for us is to hear the words of the Bible, to hear the words of the gospel, to hear this commission of love and holiness that Jesus calls us to, and to be determined and stubborn enough to actually live up to that call, to be stubborn enough to fight against these patterns and these habits and these ways of the world around us, to be stubborn enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to fold, I'm not going to give in, I'm not going to follow in just these patterns of the world, but rather I'm going to live up to that call and that holiness and that love that Jesus calls me to. You see, we see this kind of compassion and acceptance, and mercy, and forgiveness that Jesus not only brought, but also fought for, and we are meant to then see the world around us failing to do those things, and then we're meant to be challenged to continue this restorative legacy of the Messiah in our own communities. We see the work that Jesus did, we see the the way that the world is, and we're challenged to follow the way of Jesus. So when we hear God's call, In Micah 6, 8, to love mercy and to act justly and to walk humbly with him. And when we see the corruption in the world around us, we are challenged to do things differently. See, when the Bible tells us that the world is broken, that it is greedy, that it is lustful, that they are perverters of justice, that they are lovers of self and doers of wrong, like Paul says in the New Testament, we are meant to agree and say, yes, the world is like that, but I'm not of the world. We're meant to agree and say, yes, the world is like that, but that's not me. We're meant to say, yes, the world might be all of those things, but actually I am made whole in Jesus. I am selfless and self-controlled in Jesus. I am fighting for justice and loving the world around me, doing good in my community. We're meant to say, yes, the world might be like that, but actually I am a follower of Christ, not just in name, but also in action. So the gospel is a... is a challenge to change it's a challenge to refuse to keep the status quo it is a challenge to refuse to continue to walk on this path of self-destruction it is a challenge to rebel against an empire of sin to rebel against these broken patterns of the world and to dare to live a life that honors the will of god to dare to live in action in the love and the kindness and the grace of jesus So we can read these prophetic messages in the Bible of condemnation, of destruction, and we can continue to be blind, we can continue to be deaf, we can continue to be hard of heart, or we can be challenged to change, to actually see with our eyes and hear with our ears, understand with our hearts and to turn and be healed. We can be challenged to change. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 11, we continue reading, And Isaiah asks this question because he hears this this really tough message. And Isaiah asks then, For how long, Lord? And the Lord answers, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. How long will these people be stubborn? And God says, If they continue on their paths until they're destroyed. Unfortunately. But verse 13, and though a tenth remains in the land, this remnant, this remainder, I will, it will again be laid waste, but, I love buts in the Bible because there's always a contradiction and I love it. God always steps in But, but as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, the holy seed will be a stump in the land. So Isaiah asks this question, how long will this people be calloused of hearts? How long will they be blind and deaf? And God says, well, if they continue on their path until they're destroyed, until they're taken to a far off land. And unfortunately, we read through the story that that the prophecy comes through, comes true. We read that the prophecy comes to fulfillment because the people of Judah refuse to change. They refuse to, to alter their ways, and they're led into destruction and ex- exile at the hands of the Babylonians. But God says something at the end of this message, at the end of chapter 6. And I love what he says. It's at the end of this proclamation of doom, at the end of saying, if you don't change, this is what happens. He says, but like the terebinth and the oak leaf stumps, when they are cut down, the holy seed will be the stump in the land. He says if, if Judah refuses to turn from their evil ways and be healed, if they refuse to change, they will face destruction. They will be exiled and scattered to all these foreign lands. But even if they're destroyed, God says, even if they're exiled, even if they're scattered to the four corners of the earth, it's still not the end. You see, God is so compassionate, He is so loving that even, even though we might face the consequences of our sin and the consequences of our choices, God will still, he will never leave us without hope. And the hope in this message comes in this promise of this holy seed, being remaining, being remainder as the stump of a tree that is cut down. Even when the mighty oak, the story says, the prophecy says, is cut down, a stump still remains. And even though Judah might be cut down, even though Judah might be exiled, a stump of hope remains. And so here's our final lesson for today. Our final lesson is this. There's still hope. No matter what happens to us, there will always be hope with God. We may be defeated and trampled and exiled. We may be cut down, but there will always be a remnant. There will always be a remainder. There will always be a stump, a seed of hope. And unfortunately for Judah, this prophecy says, if you continue in your worthless worship, in neglecting justice, in neglecting the marginalized, in neglecting to love God and love your neighbor, then they, then they are forfeiting this divine protection. That's what the prophecy says. They would forfeit this divine protection, this holy protection from God that kept all of these more powerful armies at bay. If they rejected God, they rejected the protection. If they rejected the protection, they were then forced to fight against these more powerful armies on their own strength without God. And history shows us that they went without God and they were defeated. The Babylonians came in, destroyed everything, and exiled them, took them, took their sons and their daughters and their children all as slaves into their own countries. And even though Judah was destroyed, even though the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed, even though everything was cut down, God promised that a stump would remain. God promised that this stump rooted, embedded into the soil of God's holy city would still remain. Now now Isaiah 11 I'm going to jump a couple of chapters here. We're only going to read a few verses. Isaiah 11 prophesies of this coming Messiah. That's what chapter 11 is about. This coming of what, what we would know as Jesus. And I want you to see the first three verses of, of, of this with me in the context of the promise of the end of, of, the end of chapter, chapter 6. Because chapter 6 says this stump will remain in Isaiah 11, talking about the prophecy, talking about the Messiah, the Jesus to come, says this. Isaiah 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 and 3 should be available for you. It says this, verse 1, a shoot will come up, from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This prophecy about the Messiah, Isaiah says, this Messiah would come up as a shoot, as a little sapling from what? From the stump of Jesse, from the line of Jesse, the father of David of the tribe of Judah, this Davidic descendant, this Davidic king would be the Messiah that rises up like a shoot from the stump left in the land of Judah. So God says Judah might be cut down, but from that stump remain, from that stump that remains, from that stump that is left over, comes the Messiah, the hope of all nations. There's still hope. So I want to invite the band to come on up as we begin to close. No, there's still hope. Whatever threat we face, whatever challenge or difficulty, whatever pains or heartaches cut us down, we can face those pains and those heartaches knowing that with God, pain can be progress. While we might consider setbacks, God often uses as launching points. What we might consider stumbling blocks, God often uses as stepping stones. You see, God uses our pains and our defeats to bring about healing and restoration and to make us stronger than we were before. Our faith is strengthened when it's tested. Our hearts and our lips are purified under fire. God does not orchestrate this suffering. God does not orchestrate this experience of pain in the world, but God can use it to create growth and progress in us. All of that progress and that cleansing, that purification and that growth comes when we step into God's presence and allow him to work through our experiences. We don't need to be worthy before we come into the presence of God. It's not a prerequisite, but rather worthiness comes, purification comes, cleanliness comes as a result of being in the presence of God. God can work to change us, but we also have to be willing to change. We have to be able to see this self-destructive trajectory and be challenged to change. The prophecies given to Isaiah, they weren't absolute predictors of the future, but rather they were warnings of things to come if Judah refused to come to repentance. The prophecies were visions of what was coming if the people kept on this empty, worshiping, God rejecting, self destructive path. And so we need to see all that is wrong in this world of sin, and we need to be challenged to begin bringing through our own lives and in our own communities this kingdom of peace that God is promising will one day come. See, we're not expected to change the world overnight. Perhaps we're not even expected to change the world in our lifetime, but we're expected to begin change with us. Change starts with us. And even if we fail to heed the warnings, as we often do, even if we fail to listen to instruction, even if we fail to follow these cues of God and these promises and come to repentance, God always promises that there's still. Even when we fail continually, there's still hope. Even when we fail deliberately, there's still hope. Our choices may lead to this destructive consequences, but God always promises that that's not the end. Judah failed to listen to the words of God through Isaiah. Jerusalem was eventually destroyed, and the people were taken into captivity. But where we might expect this to be the end, God promises a remnant. God promises a remainder. God promises a stump left rooted in the ground. And God says that from that stump buds hope. From that stump rises the promise of the Messiah. From the stump, from the line of David, springs forth this Messiah, this Jesus, who did put an end to sin and death and who finally will come to reign over us and live with us in this promise of this beautiful future of eternal peace and justice. So even if we fail, even if we continue to fail time and time again, even when all seems lost and hopeless, even when we are feeling cut down, God says there's still hope. And the hope is the Messiah. The hope is Jesus. Amen.